Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 10th. Hard to believe we have no more majors left on the 2019 season. The adrenaline rush from this year's U.S. Open, those last two matches, hopefully that can sustain us for the next you know, three to four months in terms of Grand Slam tennis. Of course, we've still got Labor Cup, the year-end finals, the Asia Swing. A lot of fun tennis still ahead, but joining me to take one last look at the U.S. Open. It feels like this is the best guest we could ask for. You will recognize his face from, you know, being on the grounds at the U.S. Open the past 21 days, bringing you content every day on U.S. Open now. If you are listening to this podcast, you are obviously a tennis Twitter aficionado. You will know this guy's work as he is one of the premier tennis faces, voices in tennis social media. And of course, again, U.S. Open now. We've got Labor Cup coming up. We're sure to see his face then as well. Nick McCarville, welcome to the Mini Break Podcast. Wow, Alex, I, I mean, I feel as though I'm going to really fail the listeners there with that intro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, high stakes, right? I, lo- I want you to feel pressure. It's, uh... I, I love that. Pressure is a privilege, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've clearly been doing the media rounds. Well, I have to ask, just to start off, 21 straight days, how are you feeling? Yeah, no, I'm feeling actually pretty good. I mean, actually, the Monday after, I think every tennis fan feels it and we feel it in the media uh it's the monday hangover i was at (laughs) the national tennis center for 21 straight days and actually today kind of felt strange not going out there um but listen you know we had a a tremendous three weeks us open now is a new digital product we streamed for 91 hours i think i was on for about 89 of those 91 hours (laughs) um so no I, i had a great time i got to do a little world feed tv which was a pleasure and then I um, crashed the radio booth and Mike Cation and the whole radio team for U.S. Open Radio, which was awesome. So That's feeling awesome. feeling good, uh, you know, R.I.P. U.S. Open 2019. <laughs> that was going to be one of my first questions. I believe this – was this your first time ATP Radio? Um, so I've done U.S. Open Radio here and there, and I've worked on the ATP Radio sparingly the last couple of years. But, yeah, I got to dip into the booth a few times. And, I mean, the guys that do the ball-by-ball, ball, sometimes I like fake it, and I'm not making it when I do it. <laughs> um, but usually I'm kind of the third wheel just to add some unnecessary commentary and insight. And, yeah, I got to do the women's final, which was uh, fantastic. I can only imagine what it's like when you're in the booth. How's the view, by the way, from the booth? You rocking TV monitors, or is it you're watching the match and just doing your best to react live? Yeah, bo- uh, best of both worlds. Um, we've got, <laughs> I think we have four monitors in our booth, but the actual booth that they use for US Open Radio is up high above Ash. So we've got the same view that, say, like, you know, any of the international broadcasters do. So. If you're afraid of heights, it's not a great place to be, but yeah, you see the live tennis in front of you, and then um, they'll bring in court effects and that kind of stuff if we cross over to other courts, and they actually had a roving reporter for a bit of the U.S. Open, which I was really impressed with. 
Yeah, I, I thought all of the coverage, you know, from social media to the tennis, one of the big stats that have made the rounds today, both the men's and women's final, two of the highest, if not the highest rated tennis matches in ESPN's history. And it's funny because you're watching from home and the moment, both moments felt electric, even through the television, you could see the crowd is on its feet, the anticipate, you know, Medvedev going down two sets to love and then to come back, make it to go to a fifth for Bianca Andreescu to have 23 time Grand Slam champion Serena Williams on the brink. Uh, Both matches not quite changing of the guard. That's a little cliche, but that sort of feel. Young versus old generation. It threw the TV screen that it felt like, you know, an electric environment. Being in the stadium, was it that way in person? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the finals were fantastic. I think um, both of them actually were just points away from kind of being outright duds. Um, And then you know, Rafa obviously dropped that third, and Serena wasn't quite. You know, she saved that match point at five one. But I just felt like this was. We kept saying it. U.S. Open now, and I really felt it on the grounds. It felt like this was the Slam with endless stories. I mean, you know, you had Coco Mania, and you had Nick Kyrgios and that controversy, and then you had Medvedev became this villain in the wings and Fed obviously going down and you know sort of the next wave of the women's move I just felt like we were never at a loss to talk for things to talk about and we were on air for eight hours a day so it was obviously <laughs> a pretty good slam <laughs> no I I couldn't agree more I, it's funny because you forget I think it was day two and it's like in in the cluster of storylines. But day two, we had Dominic Team, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, Roberto Bautista, Gut, Karen Kachanov all lose, right? And it's like in retrospect, that was nothing. That was that was just a little tease of what was yet no, to come. No, that was so, that was just seriously that was just the beginning. Gosh, I forgot it. That was a sad, sad day to be a seed. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also to be sort of in the next wave of men's players, where everyone continues to be like who's going to be the next guy to break through. I mean, I think Medvedev finally has taken that throne. He's, like, pushed Sasha off of that throne, which he was barely hanging on to. I think Tsitsipas was probably in that seat more recently. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, that, there was that plethora of upsets, and then, what, none of the top four women made the quarterfinals? I mean, you know, there's just all these crazy stats that get thrown around. But that means there's, there's um, interesting tennis going on on the court. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Poor Riley Opelka and Katie McNally. Riley's like, I beat Fognini, guys. That was cool. Katie McNally's like, I took a set off Serena. And everyone's like, "Ah, yeah, but that was the first week. And so it's, you know, it's ridiculous to think about. And that is why at the end of all these slams, we like to do a winners and losers from the slam. Nick, I asked if you would get a list together. You know, I'm sure we had uh, Michael Janender, who was uh, one of the hitting partners this week, made a CNN little debut. He was afraid to give a pick in yesterday's final. He didn't want to offend anyone and I get why you going to every tournament if you don't have as many losers as you do winners uh, so let's start with the winners have a little fun Nick your first winner from the year's last slam is well my first winner is the act of hugging because Coco Goff and Naomi Osaka had the hug heard seen and felt around the world if you had a dry eye when Naomi Osaka asked Coco Goff to do the post-match interview with with her after that match, then I don't know what being you are. You're not a human being. Um, <laughs> listen, I just thought it was amazing, cultural, not even sporting, cultural touch point that was fantastic. I actually was a little nervous about it when it was happening in the booth. I was up in radio, but it ended up being um, literally the hug 
felt around the world. So my first winner is hugging. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Ben Rothenberg who tweeted out that the hug has replaced. Did he write an article on it this week? Was it uh, that the hug has replaced the handshake? Yeah, I think it was Ben. And if it's not, I apologize. But it's not just that. It feels like in every match, you you know, Medvedev at the end, he crosses the net. And they're always going to cross the net in a Grand Slam final. But his arms around Nadal, they're slapping each other's chest. You know, no, you you played well today. No, you played well today. And it's just, (laughs) it's that sort of exchange. The hug really has replaced. Uh, the handshake and I kind of like it. We went from the handshake to the clasp, and now it's the hug. And it was actually it was actually <laughs> Cindy Schmer who wrote that story. Really? So oh, Google says yes. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I apologize to her. Excellent take because I agree. You. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would hope so. Yeah, look, I, it feels like in general, though, the because we I'll use this winner to make, I guess, a bigger point. The the generational gap between the people who are coming up on both the, the next gen men and women, but also you have you know Serena, especially on the women's side, but then Federer, Nadal, Djokovic on the men's side. It feels like there really is a very cordial relationship. You don't see these guys, you know, trying to kick the big three or Serena out of there immediately. They almost relish the challenge and hope to face those guys in the latest stages and or the respect level between just the two classes of players it's it's really fun to watch yeah no totally uh fully agreed and you know it's, it's nice to have some salt in some of these matches but yeah of course the respect is what we all appreciate <laughs> too <laughs> No, I'm all in. Again, Kyrgios Nadal, it felt like we got robbed of that as a semifinal. There was a chance for it to happen, and I think four finals tickets at one point in anticipation of Federer Nadal went for 50000 Uh You know, if Kyrgios Nadal semifinal, that would have been a must-buy ticket as well. My first loser, by the way, is the peop- are, are the people who bought men's finals tickets in anticipation <laughs> of Federer Nadal. If you're spending $50,000 on four tickets, you have that kind of throwaway money, so I get it. But, like, <laughs> 50000 Ooh. That's a that's a lot. I mean, Medvedev I mean, Nadal lived up to it, but that's, but, a, that's only that's about ten thousand dollars an hour for what the final ended up being. So that's not bad. That's actually the going rate for that's the no that's the going rate for U.S. Open now uh, uh, advertisement. So uh, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, no, that's my that's my hourly fee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Well, then I will transition. I gave you a loser. I want to give one of my winners as well. And this is where I want, uh, again, your on-site. You got to see this through the TV on tennis Twitter. Felt like Tennis Canada really on the rise at this point. It, obviously, they have Andrescu to celebrate on the women's side. But between her, FAA, Shapovalov, and you know Shapovalov beats FAA first round here. Goes on to have maybe his most successful tournament of the year as well. Tennis Canada comes out looking great after this U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And actually, if you think about Tennis Canada as an entity, think of all the juniors that they've produced. You know, Philip Pellewo and Gabby Dabrowski, who's now a top um, doubles player. And, you know, I'm still waiting to see sort of the track record of Felix and Dennis in the next, say, three years. Um, And then, you know, we all know what's happened with Jeannie Bouchard. But I, I think that... That system has learned how to to build and hold champions, and I'm, I mean Bianca Andreescu, massive. I saw tennis. I saw a few tennis Canada people on site, and uh, you know their eyes were 
as wide as their country just because they're like so excited about what's to come and as they should be i mean you know uh bianca's now a global superstar and they obviously have a system up there that's that's working and i think you know if the athletes buy in and if everything happens the way it should for a certain athlete i know there's always an argument about that but yeah i mean definitely uh, a winner with a big maple leaf next to it i don't know maple leaf winner sure (laughs) Yeah, do we does does Mrs. Andrescu with all the TV time she got she counts as a winner from this tournament too, right? I mean, she is, yeah, she is the winner. <laughs> no one else won the U.S. Open except for Bianca's mom. <laughs> we had a fake prop bet going into the final: who gets more airtime, Mrs. Williams or Mrs. Andrescu, on the broadcast? Mm. And obviously, mm-hmm. the way things broke, Mrs. Andrescu, she's looking like a staple for you know the the next fifteen years. I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> exactly. Well, then, with that in mind, your next winner or loser? Um, my, I'm going to go loser, and I'm going to go. I've been calling them the little 125, which really hasn't caught on. But essentially, you've got the big three versus the little 125. You see where I'm going there? <laughs> and um, I, once again, literally, the little 125 has lost to the big three because we know that Rafa is champion of the U.S. Open and. You mentioned it, Alex. Like, the, there's just you look at the uh, Hachinovs, the Chorches, the teams, the Zverevs, the Sisapasses. I mean, this generation just hasn't figured out how to win big on the biggest stages. And and I'm not criticizing whatsoever because you've got three of the best tennis players of all time. But um, I, I'm just curious to see. Once again, we walk away from the season with Rafa and Novak as your two slam champs and the last 12 slams have been won between among rather the big three so when is the little 125 no matter if it's different than the 125 at US Open Australian Open wherever they may be when are they going to break through because they get stamped with the loser status after the US Open yeah, I would the the counterpoint or not the counterpoint. I guess I, I agree with all of that, especially you know for the men in just you know twelve straight from guys who are uh, who is it the last twenty year old player to win a slam was Marin Cilic, I think something like that or like that that <laughs> wasn't right. a big three member and it's just three players yeah. yeah three players born in the nineties have made Grand Slam finals like only three mm. and you know I think it was Medvedev was the first guy to get two sets even in a major final that was born in the nineties so. It is painful to see, and it felt like the opportunity was wide open. You didn't have Federer in this—you know, he loses quarterfinals. Novak Djokovic ducks out to Stan Wawrinka. The top half was wide open, and it was, I guess, to flip to one of my winners from this, Daniil Medvedev, who obviously may be the biggest winner on the ATP since Wimbledon finals of City Open, uh, finals in Montreal, wins Cincinnati, makes the final of the U.S. Open— as refreshing as it was to see him take that space, it still is. It, it's mind blowing that only you know that the last twelve have been won by the same three guys. Particularly when they've all faced some different health issue, except maybe Rafa, but he more it's more maintenance now that you can expect from him at any point. But yeah, it, it continues to amaze that the consistency these guys show. But just to get into Daniil Medvedev uh, as my next winner. Regardless of the fact that he didn't get the job done, he went from, you know, again, 
six months ago, it feels like the story was, ooh, the New York crowd really getting into it with Daniil Medvedev. He goes from the <laughs> ultimate villain to, right. okay, this guy's like, now he's wrapped in tape, and it's like, can he even get through this match to, oh my god, I think he just stole the first set from Stan Wawrinka to, oh my god, this guy is in the final to, oh my god, he came back from two sets to love down on Nadal. I just, I, I feel like Daniil Medvedev, of all of the runs we've seen from the next-gen guys, we've seen Zverev win the year-end finals last year. We saw Kachanov make or win the Paris Masters last year. We saw Hyun Chung make a master sem- or a major semifinal. Stefano Tsitsipas make a major semifinal and have a lot of success through the first third of this year. But Daniil Medvedev's run, I, I guess, from Wimbledon to now, it feels the most real of any of the young guys. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, no, totally. I, I mean, I think I think the fact that he had such a good summer, it actually kind of reminded me of Sasha's Vav summer two years ago when I think he mm-hmm. won Canada. Mm-hmm. And did he win Cincy? I th- whatever. He was like... I think Dimitrov touted. won Cincy, but he like made yeah, the semis right. and then he, he, he the beat Federer yeah. at Rogers yeah, yeah. Cup, he something beat, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. No, he beat Federer in the final, you're right, in Montreal. Anyway, there was just all this build-up to Zverev, and then he, I think he lost in the second round of Chorich, but um, <laughs> Medvedev backed it up, and he also, it wasn't easy, right? I mean, look at his U.S. Open path. He had some struggles. He was down a set and a break to Dominic Kupfer, who I'm, I'm sure I'm still butchering how to say Kupfer, <laughs> but Medvedev, the way that he continued to fight back, I was so impressed with the way that he played Stan. I mean, Vavrinka obviously hit a little bit of a wall in that match, but he completely confounded him. And then just to follow that up, he was a clear favorite against Dimitrov, who just was trying to Dimitrov things, but didn't, wasn't able to. And, uh, you know, that final two, I mean, against Rafa, it was a dud midway through the third set. I mean, it almost was teetering on boring. And the way that he was able to, to turn it around and then not only get it into a fifth, that it was just some thralling tennis, but then he almost came back in the fifth set, too, when Rafa's up two, <laughs> two breaks. I mean, you could see the fear in Rafa's eyes. Um, so, yeah, listen, I think Medvedev's here to stay. I also think he's here to stay because he's just got a different game. And we're seeing it in the women's game right now, and I think it'll be more and more true in the men's. If you play different, you're going to be successful. Yeah, it's death by a thousand paper cuts with Daniil Medvedev. He just cut, mm. you know hurts you in so many different ways, short slices, or you know then he'll go big flat. He is still six six. He can do so many different things, and that's why it, it's so fun to watch him just develop to see his game, the way he was able to have success in so many different ways. Plus, and I've said this earlier, but you to to win a Grand Slam, you're going to have to win some sets where you're just not playing well, and he did that in multiple matches in different ways each time against Lopez against. Wawrinka against Dimitrov it just feels like it's going to uh it it feels like this sort of style can translate over the course of a couple of years not in the way the you know the Zverev's Kachanov's Chorch have had their great weeks of success you think for Chorch you know last year in Asia of the other guys as I've mentioned it feels very sustainable he leads uh the ATP tour in wins for a reason uh, so that, mm-hmm. that I think that is the big thing to look at. But to transition to one of my winners, a lot of great digital content. Again, Nick, I said, as I said in the beginning, you guys at the U.S. Open Now show 91 hours of brilliant content. I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a couple hours you'd like back. You know, hour 67. <laughs> You're are. like, wish, wish we could redo that. Too. Those are the two hours I wasn't on air, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but one of, for me, one of the winners content-wise, and it's it's a little bit, you know, outside. It was the talk show content, right? Ellen came out with a video where she had her producer go do some hitting, and then the Fallon skit that they got. Those all came out during the U.S. Open, but where they were planting players, having them say different things. And I should say, I was there for Pringlegate. I was there when Naomi Osaka tried to tell a joke at the beginning of her press conference. It, something didn't seem right in the moment, and to see it in retrospect is hilarious. <laughs> I loved I I loved being so confused by Pringlegate at Cincinnati, <laughs> and it all it all made sense. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I was like, well executed, Maria, because because when Dominic Team was the one who said it first, it was just like, y- y- what? Like, I I think we missed something there. Like, that's not the <laughs> Pringle that you were thinking of. Um, yeah, it's like, and, and yeah, he didn't, make, he didn't make the final edit. If you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, and I also think, like, we did a lot of celebrity tweets on US Open now, and, like, I think Coco and Naomi helped us a lot. Coco herself helped us, but Serena and Bianca and Roger, I mean, people were really paying attention to the Open beyond tennis, which I thought was really cool just to see, you know, like, essentially Justin Trudeau was, like, watching every one of Bianca's matches, but uh, there was just like this great support around the, the celebrity sphere of the U.S. Open, which was cool. That was going to be one of my other winners. I think Manu Ginobili was there every day. Uh, Tiger <laughs> Woods definitely. Tiger Woods Dickie definitely v, had action. Dicky V yeah. was there like thirteen or fourteen, I think. Yeah, yeah. He was just trying to get on the U.S. Open now show. Come on, he's he, like, yeah, you guys he got it. some time. <laughs> and so it was all of that. I'm trying to think who I love seeing P.K. Subban and uh, Lindsey Vaughn in yep, the crowd. Yeah. I, I kept waiting for us to get more Jimmy Fallon, Justin Timberlake. It seems like we see them every year. Um, yeah, Ben Stiller yeah. was there for a couple of days. I think he's a big Rafa fan. Yeah, no, Ben's, yeah, I think they, they've got some sort of relationship, I think, as well. Yeah, okay. so he was, yeah. yeah, he's always there. Uh, I mean, I, I, again, this brings back how how much money are those freaking tickets? Lin Manuel Lin Manuel Miranda's front row every match. I'm like, are they? There's no way he's paying. Like, he's got to be there on some sort of ad thing, right? Because yeah, yeah. It, it was crazy. It, it really was. And again, you, you can tell as you were there. It feels like everyone in New York. If you were a celebrity, if you're in New York, the U.S. Open was the place to be. Yeah, week two for sure. Week one was a little slower on the celeb front, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean. <laughs> No, there was, you just had a whole plethora of people. Um, Queen Latifah came a few times, which I thought was cool. I mean, Meghan Markle was in Serena's box at the end. <laughs> I, liked when Anna went to her, I liked when Anna went to her, the Vogue editor would just stay in the player box when it switched from Serena's match to Roger's match. That happened a couple <laughs> nights. And she would just stay there. She was the only person who was like, oh, this match is over. Don't care. I'm staying for the next one. Yeah, you know, and um, I, I loved how, like, Billie Jean King and Rod Laver get, like, wrapped in with the celebrities. Gail King, Savannah Guthrie, Robin Roberts, Morning TV was there, which is really cool. Um, I mentioned Ben Stiller. We had, like, we had, like, the NBA sort of carousel. We had J.J. Reddit came on the show. Kobe Bryant came to talk about his book. Um, Gordon Hayward was on the show. Um, yeah, uh, the the celebs came out came out in force in week two for sure. Which leads me, I'm going to ruin one of my rapid fire questions now. But of all of the celebrities, all of the people who came on U.S. Open now, your favorite interview was? 
Oh, favorite interview was with, I mean, Dickie V is hard to beat because he knows tennis <laughs> really well. And he actually told this, so Dick Vitale, of course, if you don't know college basketball, I'm guessing most of you guys do. But um, he told the funniest story about, like, I think he's got something like 12 or 15 grandkids. And he, like, worked the circuit to get everyone tickets because he has actually, uh, I think his granddaughter and maybe a grandson are pretty high-ranked juniors and so they're they're quite the tennis family and Dickie V told the story about getting everyone tickets he got them into a suite you know like the guy is hustling I think he did like a couple basically like Mercedes-Benz appearances to like get these <laughs> tickets and it's the Saturday of the Coco Naomi match but he got them day tickets and then all the grandkids were complaining that they didn't have night tickets which I thought was so funny and of course lo and behold Dickie found them night tickets too <laughs> let me tell you um, that Coco Goff is a prime time player ex- baby exactly and he gave he gave the most impassioned I actually don't know if they clipped this off on the US Open YouTube you guys can try to find it um, just search Dick Vitale but he gave the most like impassioned speech about because Nick Kyrgios, I think, had lost the night before or maybe two nights before. Um, but he just gave this big speech about how Nick needs a coach and how he needs to find his, you know, realize his dreams. And, um, you know, like we've all made that speech in different ways or we've heard that speech in different ways, I guess. But not when it's coming from Dickie V, which I thought was we had him. We had him look right down the pipe, right down the lens and try to give him some advice. But I'm. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. <laughs> yeah, you know, Dickie V said in his ways, right? Uh, some things never change. But, you know, you talked about that Nick Kyrgios match and who he lost to in Andre Rublev. And again, I'm going to use that to poor segue, not U.S. Open now worthy, but to get into another one of my winners, which would be, uh, I would say, both Matteo Berrettini and Andre Rublev, two of the 125 who really stuck out for, you know, the way they played under pressure for Andre Rublev. Just, you know, for him to back up his result in Cincy, beating Roger Federer there, making, I think, the quarterfinals to, you know, then come here and have the success he did, knocking out Kyrgios, getting, knocking out Tsitsipas, getting to that round of 16. And then Matteo Berrettini, if the finals hadn't been so good, his 7-6 in the fifth quarterfinal with Gael Monfils would have been right up there for match of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, totally. And Monfils' match was Shamo, which was 6-4 Ooh, in the fifth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good point. Good point on the little 125. I mean, for Rublev, the guy's obsessed with tennis. He's so happy to be there. You can see that he plays. And honestly, he, that match against Kyrgios, I called that on radio too. And Nick was right in there in both those tie breaks. And even in the second 4-0 set, in one of them, right? Yeah, second set. Nick mm-hmm. should have won that. Um, but I just, you know, to me, it's just those... Those are the margins that, you know, you and I can sit here and talk about stats and trends and whatever, but it's all margins and it's all the big points. And Rublev just played them with so much more passion, I thought. Um, and then I'm still confounded as to how Rublev then 
lost to Berrettini, but Berrettini played really well. Um, yeah. yeah. No, so, it, no, I it, mean, it those was are just, definitely two. Yeah, they're just ridiculous to see. I would say on the Berrettini front, and sorry to cut you off, but they, it got me thinking, and this okay. is so stupid, but in terms of my winners, uh, Matteo Berrettini was the, one of the poster children for this. I mean, these guys on the ATP do- tour are freaking jacked. Like, the amount of shirt changes yeah. we had, because there are a lot of long matches, but, like, you see Chung take off the shirt, and Chung in a shirt, maybe the shirt's a little bit too big, and this is, the you know, a stupid criticism, but, like, he he's going for the shirt change, and these guys just have six-packs on six-packs, and you're just like, oh, my God. Like, again, with the five-set quality that we saw from uh, Nadal and Medvedev in the end, the quality we saw from Serena and Rescue, all of these players... You just I, I feel like tennis, and it, it makes sense that in 2019, the game's at its most physical, at its fittest, but these athletes are just so impressive. Yeah, I actually just had dinner with a good friend who, um, she was saying she hadn't watched much tennis ever, and her two takeaways from the U.S. Open was um, how impressive the ball people were, and um, <laughs> also Daniil Medvedev's abs. <laughs> she was like... <laughs> You just look at the guy, and you don't think he's going to have a 12-pack, and then he does, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. No, they're, I mean, they're such great athletes, and uh, yeah, that's just another thing we kind of take for granted or don't really think about um, because they work so hard off-court um, Yeah, to produce their best mm-hmm. stuff on it. It's pretty great. Would you also say, and this is always a sticky one, if we get and you know Ben Rothenberg will na- evoke his name again, he's one of the biggest proponents, or at least the face of best of three versus best of five. But if you are make, bringing the case to the tennis Twitter jury and you are trying to make your case for best of five, it feels like these last three rounds, you know, that second week of the U.S. Open would be the film you bring and you give that to the jury and you're like, here's my case for why you continue to do it. I think best of five looked particularly good. A, a four-hour match is long, but every point of Nadal Medvedev, was, I was locked in. Yeah, and I think I could be wrong, but I think Ben's stance is he wants best of five quarterfinals and on, which would only strengthen. Yeah, first I, round. I be- yeah, I believe that's what his take is. Um, listen, uh, you know, I've more been sort of, I guess, quote unquote, American in the stance of like, let's just play best of three because. My stance is that tennis has become too physical. I mean, you know, it's great to see these guys are warriors and that they work so hard and that they're in such great shape. But, like, I actually feel like we've lost touch of, like, the um, the pure sense of the sport. And I know that tennis has changed because technically it's so much more advanced and the serves are bigger and the rackets are better and whatever. But sometimes you kind of feel like it ends up being a physical test and not a tennis test. And yes, I understand that tennis is physical, therefore it should all be part of it. But I do feel like when we get into these best... I mean, that's why I, I loved the Wimbledon rule of fifth set, 12-all tiebreak. I mean, there's just no sense in Kevin Anderson and John Isner playing for as long as they did. And then Kevin is like a walking zombie in the final. <laughs> you know, I just... And yeah. so... And I think it's great that the U.S. Open has a fifth set tiebreak. Um, yeah, so... I did well to avoid answering that question. Yeah, no, that brilliant. Again, well done. I, I, 
it's <laughs> yeah you don't want dare i say a 91 hour match uh you don't want to see uh, you know at, at a certain point at 50 all in the fifth set you're like all right i've seen enough of this and so it does feel like seven six uh, the six all you're playing a breaker at that point the finality of it the finish line being in sight does help but yeah, even I mean, how many matches did you see guys in the fourth? They start to struggle physically, and then the match really starts to deteriorate. And next thing, you know, as great as it was to see Medvedev come through his physical ailments, to see him adjust and start hitting massive serves, you know, so often you see players just kind of wilt away in those, you know, you see a 6-0 fourth set thrown in. It's like, do we really even need sure. to play that one? And so, yeah, I, I think it's fair. It, it's certainly a discussion, but... I mean, that final, two sets to love down, and for Medvedev to come back and then almost go up a 2-0 break lead in the fifth was just, that was everything. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. any, more, any more winners and losers? Uh, my last winner is silly, but I think it's actually very important, is the weather. This was the most beautiful, temperate, enjoyable, non-humid, non-sticky, disgusting New York weather. I mean, it really was for the people on site and I think for the players and for the fans you couldn't feel this through your TV screen but it was actually like a bearable it's the weather we usually get right now in New York like mid late September the city there's not a lot of humidity and it just I, I actually was thinking about it today and I think partially the reason why I enjoyed the US Open so much is because it wasn't disgustingly hot so, um, and I think a few people would agree with me on that too. So, uh, I would hope so. It felt like we had what one day that was rained out. I think it was like the second Wednesday. Yeah, the first Wednesday. Um, or yeah, the first the, Wednesday. The, so. Yeah, um, but no, and like qualifying week was disgustingly sticky. So was I mean I was in Toronto and Cincinnati. It was super hot. I think DC was hot, and so I think I actually was kind of surprised it wasn't more of a talking point. But I think. If you look in the weather history books, the Farmer's Almanac will tell you that it's the coolest U.S. Open on record. Yeah, it's sneaky. Uh, I'm sneaking a loser, but is it true that the Arthur Ashe Stadium, no AC? Yeah, I actually wasn't aware of that. I think it's... it's crazy. I think, they, I think they have some sort of, like, air... I thought they could control the air system somehow, but... Um, now that I'm not on US Open now anymore, I don't have I don't have anyone to fact check that for me. So no idea. <laughs> Literally don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I read it as well. Yeah, that it's just some sort of uh, different or yeah, it's not like a formal AC, but that just that's crazy to me. Like the amount of I mean the the heat coming off of Nadal and Medvedev and the humidity and sweat that just that rising and be like get that out of here. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's a stench. This stench is just ravaging. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. This will be how I transition, and this is how we do segues at the mini break. Uh, my last winner, everyone who got to attend your attend your Love All in Open Conversation, you call it an LGB tennis event, the second annual event you threw at the U.S. Open. For our listeners who are unaware of what that is, can you explain how the event came to be, what it is you guys do? Oh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, no, we did a – so last year at the U.S. Open – I invited Brian Vahaley and Casey Delacqua to do a panel discussion with me at a bookstore in New York about um, sexuality in tennis, uh, queer, queerness in tennis, LGBT issues, because um, I think as listeners will well know, there's no current out gay man on tour, and um, yeah, I just felt like as a queer journalist myself that it was a good conversation to have, and um, we've done, this is the fourth event we've done. We did 
the last year, the one here, and then we did the Australian Open and Wimbledon, and then the USTA along with a company called Fewer Productions, who oversees a lot of the entertainment at the US Open, and Brian Vahaley came together and put on this event that was really cool. I mean, Billie Jean King was sort of the draw card, but then you had Jason Collins, Billy Bean, Adam Rapon, Brian Vahaley, and then we had Alison Van Utvank and Hret Minen, uh, who are both out and a couple obviously on the WTA. And yeah, I mean, it's just a candid conversation about sports and sexuality and challenges and, you know, athletes feeling like they have to be one thing when they're not. And um, by no means were, were we or are we ever asking for uh, to out or to want any man on tour to come out, but it's just an opportunity to move the needle forward and um, I won't say who, but I had someone high up at the USTA come up to me after the event and just said, wow, I didn't realize there was this much to talk about. Because <laughs> it's just like, um, you know, there's a lot of angst. And we're living in an angsty time in this country. And um, it was awesome. We had over 400 people there. They live streamed on the US on Facebook. And um, Billie Jean King got, I think, two or three standing ovations. So... <laughs> I mean, my, she's deserving of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for for you uh, to get to use your position as a journalist uh, to it's to be you know active in this community to care to promote the things and advance the causes yeah. you care about, it's so enviable. I really, you know, again, I think I speak for all of us listeners when we say we appreciate all that you do, Nick. Um, how how is it for you personally to get to you know just be in something like that? I, I know uh, when reading uh, doing some research for this, you being from Montana. I think it was the story uh, you wrote for Outsports.com talking about getting to watch the Billie Jean Kings, Navratilovas. Uh, I know they're a little older than you. I'm not trying to date you, but, you know, Monica Seles' of the world. How cool is it for you now to get to participate in an event like that? Oh, it's amazing. I, I mean, you know, I almost felt like I was in the wrong place on stage because I'm surrounded <laughs> by all of these accomplished athletes who have been so outspoken in who they are and you know I, I, I've felt lucky that I've been a journalist that you know ha, has been able to travel the world and I've had a lot of things break the right way I have a lot of people ask me how do you how do I get your job how do I do um, <laughs> what you're doing and and for me I, I kind of just stuck my neck out in a lot of different situations and I guess I, it was right place right time and then I just worked my ass off otherwise but you know just just to be on that stage was honestly a complete honor and um I, i've never hosted a panel and i've hosted several that literally everything everyone said was like a huge applause line which was really cool like i mean i could have been charlie brown's teacher just like <laughs> asking the next question and jason collins and billy b and billy g they just took it away and, and owned the stage and yeah i mean for me it's a it's an outright honor honestly yeah was there, this is maybe just me asking, but I'm sure listening. How, uh, did you feel any pressure? You're like, I got this event together. Now, you know, don't f*** up the questions. Yeah, I, yes. I mean, you always feel that. <laughs> but I, I actually, I was, I was kind of the organizer and host of those first three events. And I was more just the host of this USTA event. Because it was a USTA on-site. It was the Thursday of Fan Week, Wally's. Um, it was hosted in the indoor center at the Chase building. Um, like the USTA fully put it on and asked me to host it. So that actually, to me, put I, I felt like I had less pressure because, like, mm -hmm. 
I didn't have to worry about like, is the live stream working and is this audio okay? And like, <laughs> do people know that there's a spot to get drinks after? Like, I was just worried about the question, so that made it a little bit easier for me. Uh, it was such a fun event to watch, and I, I believe listeners can still find it on YouTube, right? If they do a little googling. Yeah, I don't know if it's on YouTube. It's definitely on the U.S. Open Facebook page for sure yeah. in their video. That's stuff. A, at yeah. this point, all, yeah, all the highlights, all the highlights blend together for me. I'm like, if I go into <laughs> Google and type okay. in the video, I'll, yeah, exactly. You'll find it. I'll, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, I do want to talk about your background in tennis. Uh, you talk about. You know how how do you you do have the one of the coolest jobs you get to travel from tournament to tournament doing these live shows. Particular, I think now this year you were at the Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open doing live shows. You get to go, you know, to Cincinnati, to the Rogers Cup, out in Europe, all of these different things. Uh, I, and yet, despite all of that, you're from Montana, not exactly a hotbed <laughs> of tennis talent. How does young Nick McCarville find tennis? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very sporting family. I'm fifth of six, and everyone played sports growing up. And I, I played soccer and ran track. I was actually pretty good at bat. My two brothers played basketball, so we played a lot of alley ball. Mm-hmm. Um, as boys, but yeah, kind of just the public parks tennis like summer program was two blocks from my house, and my mom put me in one summer, and I kind of just it kind of like was mine. Like it wasn't what my brothers were doing, and. It just kind of became my sport. I think by the time I was 12 or 13, like I was very locked in. I didn't. I decided not to run track in high school. I didn't play basketball anymore. And I just kind of became obsessed. Like I was watching a lot of tennis on TV. And then, I mean, you know, granted Montana is no tennis hotbed. I <laughs> was like competitive statewide and a little bit in our um, USTA section and Intermountain play. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of became this little obsession session of mine and I think I liked it because it was really independent um, and at that point in my life I was sort of going through this phase of being independent and yeah I, I think I just loved all of those little mechanisms of the sport they really spoke to me I got to see a video you know I did some Instagram stalking before this and I saw you had a video of you serving playing a little tennis on Arthur Ashe <laughs> getting to you know as a lifelong tennis player getting to travel to all of these events you, because you're in the sport you know as you mentioned 21 straight days right you don't have time to really zone out and think of the perspective in the moment but just getting to go to all of these tournaments uh, seeing these professional players maybe this is just a question for me but does the thrill ever go away? Um, that's a layered question. Uh, uh, honestly, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, quite honestly, yes, but but also no. I mean, you know, when you're working 21 days in a row, and when a lot of those days are 12, 14, 16 hour days, uh, you know, I mean, some nights do I get on the shuttle at nine o'clock because I'm done, even though there's not even the last match has started. Yeah, because I'm a human being and I need to sleep, right? But, yeah, but I mean, the the thrill of, um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned I got to I got to hit a few balls. We did like a, a how does it feel video on Arthur Ashe, which was incredible. I mean, I've never even come close to playing on a stage like that. So that was <laughs> amazing, which is really cool. Um, no, but I think more now, Alex. I'm just focused on like. Um, I'm focused on doing a good job. And so sometimes maybe from like a fan perspective, it is 
it's not lost on me the people that I'm talking to and the work that I'm doing, but I'm more focused on doing a good job, if that makes sense. Like, uh, you know, I, I want I want my interview with Billie Jean to like be as insightful and um, uh, sort of. I want the fans to feel as though that they get the most out of what I'm doing, and so. Uh, that means sometimes you kind of have to push aside like holy shit, I'm interviewing X, Y, or Z <laughs> and you just do the job because that's the job in front of you, if that makes yeah. sense. No, I imagine the whole time you have Dick Vitale, you want to be like, so let's talk a little college basketball. Let's do all of these different things. But you're, you know, all of your past, but you're, you know, how did you come up with primetime performer, PTP? Where do you get these slogans out of? But you have to stay focused. I agree. That is uh, part of the difficulties. And it's so interesting to to hear you say that i also you know speaking of difficulties and to get back to your past i know that back in the day you mentioned the montana tennis hotbed true or false you used to hit you know your best playing partner was the barn a couple of doors down (laughs) yeah well you did do your research yeah i grew (laughs) up um so like my house is in this old neighborhood of helena which is uh, it was a gold rush town in montana so there are a lot of the capital correct yeah, it's the capital, and there's a lot of stables and barns in my neighborhood, and so it was like the perfect wall to hit a tennis ball against because it was like this big, flat plaster wall that that gave the truest of um, forehands <laughs> and backhands back at my own. Uh, I can only imagine because you know everyone has a coach who says at some point you got to go hit against the wall, just where you're, you know the wall is never gonna miss, but. For you, I guess just continuing to get to go to tennis, uh, to turn to tennis as something. I, I believe you went to Seattle, and I'm not sure if you played there. But coming out as a journalist, as someone who covers tennis, you know, tennis isn't the richest sport for journalism. If you're trying to make big money in journalism, that may not be the spot for you. Hmm. How was it in particular that you got into? You know, you you mentioned this earlier. Everyone asks you how to do it, but what was it about tennis journalism, journalism in particular that appealed to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was just a collision of dreams. You know, I, I went to Seattle U. I didn't play tennis. I didn't have a program at that time. Um, I chose to go there because I wanted to go to school there. And I kind of left my tennis playing in, in the past. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was my big passion was journalism. And I knew that I wanted to cover tennis. And when I moved to New York, I think my parents thought I was crazy um, just because they didn't think that there was any sort of pathway to make that a reality and I even I spoke at Seattle U in the last year and my professor my journalism professor that's still there Sonora Ja um, she's she told the the you know um, maybe one dozen students that came to hear my very enlightened talk <laughs> um, <laughs> she told them she's like yeah I thought Nick was crazy for sort of having a singular path and I, you know, to be quite honest, like, would I, you know, I was at USA Today for two years, and would I, would I rather be still doing that kind of work? Uh, yes, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist through and through, but because of financial demands and the way that the world has shifted, it's, it's more attainable to get these jobs where you're a commentator and you're hosting digital shows and you're doing social media videos and that is the path that I've taken and I, I wouldn't change it for for anything um, but I yeah it was kind of this dream that that took several sort of 
curving, winding steps to get to where I am now. And I, you know, I mostly work for events as a commentator or host now, and it's it's been a complete delight and pleasure through all of it. And it's a pleasure for us fans, as I mentioned, to get to watch you do it. It, it, it you know, you hear the McEnroe's of the world, the Chris Fowlers, and this isn't to criticize them. I happen to enjoy the work they do, but it's it's different when you can tell right away. You know, the the person doing the interview is a fan of the sport, and that screams, uh, you know, from your performances that you really do care about the sport. You care about the questions you're asking. You put time into preparing. Um, I, I want to ask, and maybe this is a niche topic, but in the modern day of social media and YouTube and Twitter, you know, Twitter highlights all of these different things. Covering tennis, it feels like there's a unique, uh, unique is an overused word, there's there's an opportunity to grow coverage of the sport simply because it feels very, you know, 20 to 30 second clip a bull. It feels like, you know, one point would make for an excellent highlight package. Uh, how have you, you know, I think you started in tennis journalism around 2009. Uh, how have you seen tennis adjust to the new wave of social media in terms of media coverage? Yeah, I mean, I think... So I think the sport was a little late in the curve of just like embracing social media in general. Um, but I think it's really allowed these athletes that allowed the tennis players to show off their personalities, which I think is, you know, I think maybe sometimes it gets a little watered down on social media, but I think that they've done a great job of, of telling and showing people who they are. Um, yeah. I think I've kind of watched in different ways. We all have like how, different entities try to put highlight clips out or gifts or, or you know let the highlights live on different platforms um which i think the sport's still figuring it out but i think you'd have the same discussion at the nfl like i think they're still figuring out how to best sort of optimize on social media um but you know I, i've also sort of to my delight watched as places and people like the u.s open have figured out like we should have a live show and show you everything but live tennis. And guess what? It's going to be really cool because you're going to see practices and you're going to see live press conferences. You're going to get bespoke interviews, celebrities, food, fashion, fans, fun. And to me, I think that helps grow the sport because the as I think as you know too, like the reason we love tennis is the feeling that these events embody and the matches themselves embody. And I think the more that we can sort of give people a sense of that through social media or, or you know, nonlinear television or whatever you want to call it. I think that that's our opportunity and sort of our responsibility to let, I, I kind of took on like a little bit of the tennis nerd um, persona on us open now, because we were doing so much other stuff and I kept being like, okay, now back to the tennis. Cause I just wanted people <laughs> to know that like, we were invested in the, and you know, we never weren't, but like we were invested in this as a tennis event. And uh, I think that really came through in US Open now. And, um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of challenge. I think Wimbledon does an exceptional job. I think the US Open did a great job with their social. Um, you know, Tennis Canada, I worked with them this summer as a host. I think they did a great job on covering Rogers Cup, but it's, like there's all, all these separate entities that are trying to cover what this one sport and I, I think the sport sort of continues to try to figure out how it covers itself the best if that makes sense 
No, it, I mean, from things as stupid as the ATP sometimes doesn't allow you to steal gifts, or they won't allow random YouTube accounts to put up match highlights from Indian Wells because of rights issues. And maybe this is just a me problem. I don't, you know, I understand why they do that, but it, the sport that seems to have the best grasp on social media basketball, they don't care on YouTube who's making nine minute highlights of Pistons Pacers on, you know, random Friday night in January. And yeah, it's interesting to see because it feels like you you see with this u.s open this was you know the most popular two finals on tv in Mm. espn history um my question to you is how how do you think the you know and this is a loaded question as well but state of the union tennis wise adapting to the new media environment just the growth of the game i think the u.s open this year gate wise did the best they've ever done uh so how, how do you think you know the state of the sport is in 2019 um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different layers to that. I think that yeah. sports, I think the sports in the easy questions place, I, here today. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, just look at the numbers. You know, both ESPN finals were highest, if not tied, or if not the highest. You had a record number of fans come through for both the main draw and overall for the U.S. Open. Uh, with the fan week, they had over a hundred thousand people for that. At. I mean, are in a really, really really good place i think that the tours are still continuing to figure out how to to be fully engaging and functional and i'm you know i I think i think that's why i I would push back a little bit on like i know that it's hard sometimes on on tennis twitter to figure out why the tours are are taking things down or freezing accounts or what have you but i the NBA doesn't and i don't actually don't know if that's true is that true the NBA doesn't care if there's highlight clip anyone yeah on youtube they're like they've embraced they're like you know we we can't control it so let them do it i i I think my pushback on that is that they don't have to care because they're signing contracts that are you know have hundreds of millions billions and so you tend to sports and so (laughs) i think that these have to be a little bit bristly and protect themselves because they've got numbers to hit (laughs) you know i (laughs) This is a business, right? And, and so sometimes I, I I so appreciate tennis Twitter and I love the passion out there, but sometimes I think we get lost in sort of the fandom of like, oh, well, this account got frozen. And it's like, well, they were stealing stuff. <laughs> so like, <laughs> sorry. Like I know it's digital and it's a gift, but guess what? It's stolen because yeah. that company paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for the rights to bring you that vision, you know? So uh, yeah. that's where... And that's where tennis is continuing to try to figure out, like, the WTA had to go separate from Tennis TV because they didn't feel like they were getting a fair shake. And then people were really mad about WTATV.com. It didn't exist for a few months. The product wasn't as good, etc. But they had to figure out what was worth it for them in the long game. And it's not just, you know, us playing YMCA soccer on the weekends and dad's holding an iPhone being like, look, it's... You know, like FaceTime, it, it, this is a professional sport. <laughs> There's <laughs> millions of dollars at stake. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's maybe a little bit of a soapbox moment for me. But I, I just, <laughs> I, I think I, I think I kind of bridged the gap of like being a fan, being a little younger. I love tennis Twitter. I love social media. I work in social media. But then I've also had a lot of these touch points with people that are in the business and they're trying to make the best business decisions as possible for tennis. And sometimes 
they're the wrong decisions and also sometimes they don't make any sense and or they're very unpopular on social media but that's i mean you know look at all look at all the player council discussions within the atp like this is a period of change and the sport's trying to figure itself out so uh, it's a catch-22 because sure, I, at the, sorry at at like the ma- you know everyone wants to watch the masters everyone wants to watch the grand right. slams and they're going to be salty if they can't at the same time if you really love tennis like you and i do livestream.com backslash atp you can watch every challenger every week every day for free there's plenty of good tennis to see so yeah it is a business i agree with you yeah yeah no and i, I just um i mean i've been in enough discussions now where i i, I kind of i can see it from both sides i guess Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, look at. I, I think if you're truly a fan and you're willing to like shell out a few dollars, like get a tennis TV subscription. It's amazing. <laughs> so is WTA TV. The Tennis Channel Everywhere app is amazing. The USTA live streams all of its uh, USTA Pro Circuit events. Like those are those are some pretty good opportunities. And you just mentioned live stream. I don't even know about that. Livestream.com. Yeah, backslash ATP. It's my backdoor into every channel. That's how I have been a tennis fan for the past 10 years. You can watch main of you- No, 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 all challengers. I don't know. If you're about to take it down for copyright reasons, by the way, I will be hurt, Nick. I'll know I'll know it was from you. I know. That's uh, awesome. I didn't know about that. Yeah, that's look, that's how Great. I got introduced to Mike Cation. Great. The legend. Yeah, exactly. Um, but with that being said, you have been so generous with your time. You've gone 21 straight days. I want to, you know, you got to get your sleep, get ready for Laver Cup. If you don't go, you know, five straight days there, I'll be offended. Uh, so with that being said, there's one last thing I want to do. It is a rapid fire uh, series of questions, a little bit more about you, your background, some other fun things as well. Sound good? Okay. Am I giving you one word answers, a phrase? So, you know, I get that question a lot. I need to rephrase it from rapid fire. Rapid fire in the fact that I'm going to ask you a lot of questions fast. In terms of your okay. answers, whatever you want to, you know, as long or short as you deem worthy. Noted. Got it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So with that in mind, Westoff, give me a rapid fire sound effect, please. So the place I want to start, you mentioned, this is going to be a tough first question off the get-go. As I mentioned, it's 60 <laughs> minutes. Okay. You're here with Barbara Walters. No messing around. The best player Twitter account to follow is? Oh, the best player Twitter account to follow is... It used to be Ivo Karlovich. I feel like he's taken it down a notch. Uh, I mean, Petko's uh, incredible. Best player Twitter account. Twitter account. I mean, someone's definitely running Borna's account. It's too... It's like too (laughs) savvy now. Um... Yeah, I guess Evo, Borna, and Petco, and maybe I'll think of someone else. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, Chorich is a plant. I mean, Shapovalov, I think after he posted the sunscreen video, IMG called him and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, so that's funny. I mean, uh, I mean, Stan, I, throw Stan in there. Stan does his own. That's true. You, the problem is, I'm not like on emojis. Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I, better better tennis follow on Twitter or on Instagram for players. I I mean I think it's all the same. I guess Instagram because you can watch stories as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, ma- it makes sense to me. I just, <laughs> you know, this is why we're podcast. This voice was meant for radio, not Instagram. Uh, so that's a, no, that's just a joke for me. All right. Again, you being a, so- <laughs> yeah, a social media tennis czar that you are the most vociferous player fan base out there. Oh, uh, there's so many. Uh, probably, <laughs> probably Djokovic. Probably the, really? the over Team Rena. It's. I mean, that is. You're taking me to dark places here. Um, <laughs> it's like you tweet anything like not completely positive, and you get thrown under the bus. Uh yeah. I mean, Ser- Serena's Rena Army. Uh, uh, Mm, vociferous though I would go Djokovic just like 51 over 49 over Serena the thing is Djokovic fans and I love I, I as a Murray fan I feel like I can talk about the big th- those other big four players objectively other big four being the key word uh I, Djokovic fans have a grievance identity they're like you all love Federer you all love Nadal why aren't you loving us the same way and so yeah they they definitely they're edgy yeah, I mean, it is just just trust me that it's nothing in what compares to figure skating and the fan base there <laughs> that I deal with as a reporter. So that brings me to my per- me. perfect segue. I appreciate that. My You're next welcome. question to you: <laughs> more enjoyable to cover a Grand Slam or the Olympics? Oh wow! I mean, uh, the thing is, is I get to cover four Grand Slam. I get to get to cover four Grand Slams a year, which is you know an outright privilege. But the Olympics only comes around every two years, so I'm gonna have to go with Olympics. And it's a little longer; like you can ba- you can base yourself in a little bit of mo- a little bit more, and then you also get like usually I'm covering one sport, and then I can kind of like be a fan at others, or maybe like get a couple assignments at other venues. So that's cool too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for you, your uh, how about yeah, your the player you you've done so many great interviews over the years, as I mentioned, from Billie Jean King, you know Dick Vitale, Roger Federer, uh, outside the tennis world as well. The player you have not yet, in, or coach, or just tennis persona that you have not yet interviewed that you would like to the most. Oh, but that I haven't yet interviewed. Um. Ooh, I've made the rounds. Um, <laughs> who have I not done an interview with? Like, I would give anything for Pete Sampras chat. As a oh, fellow thick good. eyebrow, I would be like, dude, what what, what are we doing here? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I, if we're like of the moment, I haven't done anything with Gilles Savara, who's um, Medvedev's <laughs> coach. So I'd love to do something with him just because I think he... He seems like an evil genius too, um, and then if I like go way throwback, well at least throwback to my watching days, I was a big fan of Capriati. I got to interview her once, like for a few minutes on a red carpet, but I've never done like an actual full interview with her. That doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Gilles and Jen. <laughs> Good answers. I, I'm I'm sure. Hopefully, you'll get the chance to do those soon. Uh, uh, last tennis event related, you are going to Laver Cup now. I believe you were there in Chicago last year as well. Did you get to go to the first one too? No, yeah, Chicago was my first. Still, that I, it was an awesome event. The thing you are most looking forward to in this year's Laver Cup? Oof, I mean, not to be sort of a bandwagon fan, but just to see Fed in Switzerland. I mean, I think Chicago was, 
you know, we had, I think they had five sessions all sold out, you know, 18,000 plus. At U- it was crazy. Center. It was amazing. I mean, when did you ever think that the, that a Midwest crowd was going to go bonkers for Diego Schwartzman? Oh, as a Michigander, like, as a Michigan Jew, I have a Diego Schwartzman streak in me. So that hurts. Okay, well, um. <laughs> right. But come on. Did you really expect the rest of the Midwest to jump no, on that bandwagon They sold with you? out United Arena. Sold out. It was crazy. It was awesome. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see Fed like in front of what's going to be just a bonkers crowd in Geneva. And then just... I mean, you know, listen, think what you want to think about Labor Cup. Like, they have they have done a brilliant job with that event. Um, I really hope the player fields hold up this year. And, you know, last year, Europe took a huge lead. And um, North North America, the world? I don't team World. Team the team's world. called Team World. <laughs> um, team World made, uh, like, actual spirit of comeback. It was great. Um, so, no, I, I just... I've done plenty of Davis and Fed Cup, and it is like that atmosphere, so I'm excited to be back in that sort of arena. I'm going to sneak in another winner and loser real quick. My mother, big winner from the U.S. Open, two of the funniest lines I've ever heard. She comes up because I was like, Mom, look, Diego Schwer, you know, because I'm a Jewish family. And she goes, Alex, there are no Jews named Diego. Come on. <laughs> and I was just cry- I was just sitting there crying. And then the other was the best. She goes, oh, my God, that Medvedev is so handsome. And I, was like, oh. I was like, Mom, you're oh, killing me right now. This is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> too young to be married. Yeah. Yeah, for perspective, I was born October 95, Medvedev February 96. So, yeah, right. I was like, Mom, easy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, but it was really funny. All right, now Nick McCarville-based questions. If if you are not covering tennis, covering you know uh, the Olympics, figure skating, Nick McCarville is doing what? Oh, I, I'd love to work more in the New York market as like a TV host. I mean, I, I, I grew up with morning TV. I love... I like the Today Show and Good Morning America and, and that world, so I'd love to be doing that, which isn't a far departure. But yeah, no, I like it. All right, your favorite city in the world? Um, hard to beat New York City, but I also love Melbourne in January. It's a good okay. escape from the New York winter, and it is honestly, if, if you guys have never been to Melbourne, Australia, it is a must-go place. The correct answer was Helena, but that's okay. Helena, um, <laughs> Montana is a close third, everyone. Yeah. All right. Your favorite meal at an event you're covering. So Toronto, you know, it could be St. Petersburg, but your favorite vendor on the tennis circuit. Oh, wow. I mean, the U.S. Open, uh, I think we like oversold it on U.S. Open now, but the food is incredible. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of good food at Indian Wells. My favorite meal, I actually have to say, um, there is, so at Charleston, for, eating, eating in Charleston, and my food, Can you hear me, Nick? Can hear you. Oh, perfect. Sorry, I think I lost you for a second there at the end. That's okay. Um, um, but all right, 
my next question for you, and again, we are wrapping up shortly, I promise. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to go? Are you a Harry Potter fan? Sure. Oh, great answer. I haven't gotten to ask this in a while. If you were in a house at Hogwarts, what house would you be in? I mean, you know, Harry Potter came out when I was in eighth grade, and I had some sort of complex that I was Harry Potter. I mean, <laughs> at the time. So... Gryffindor, of course. <laughs> you are Tennis Twitter's chosen one. There's no <laughs> denying. That. I mean, David Goffin is the real Harry Potter. Let's see. I'll be a close second. All right. Well, then, uh, my last question to you for our listeners who uh, you know are, are intrigued by you. I'm sure they have heard of your work. They've seen your work. But if they have not, can you tell them where, what you'll be up to for the rest of 2019, where they can find all of your stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, so I'm headed to Labor Cup. I'll be a social media host. So you can be on the Labor Social channels. Hopefully, we're going to do Bond's coverage as much as we can. Um, and then I will be dipping into some figure skating. I'm the host of what's called Ice Desk at the U.S. Figure Skating event. So I'll be at Skate America, which is in Vegas this year, mid-October. Um, you can find all of that on U.S. Figure Skating social accounts, which is cool. It's a sport that... Um, deserves your attention if you've never checked it out. They're some of the most incredible athletes in the world. Um, and then I'm going to be on ATP Radio. I'll be doing ball-by-ball coverage during Milan, and then I'll be boots on the ground at the O2 Arena for ATP Radio as the on-site reporter. So behind the scenes, coaches, family, doubles, hopefully some of the singles guys, um, just trying to get the best scoops I can. And if you love my work, if you hate my work, if you have feedback, story ideas, what have you, you can follow me at Nick McCarville on Twitter. And don't be afraid to message me. And um, if you ever have any critiques, great. Just make sure you scroll down a little just to see that I do know usually what I'm talking about. <laughs> Bon Bonus question. What is Nick McCarville better at, tennis or skating? Oh, my God. I'm a whore. I've skated like five times in my life. And I was... <laughs> I actually, I actually could have played like Division Two college tennis. I would have maybe made a Division D one team, um, and I like can't stand up on skates. So, <laughs> see, you were just when did you go to college? Like, I want to say oh five, oh six, oh four, yeah, oh four, yeah. See, I don't know if club tennis was as big then as it is now, but every school has a club tennis team. That would have been your mojo. Yeah, I played a little club tennis, and then I actually, I think I kind of got sick of it, like, just playing. So, I stepped away, and now I'm back. That's what I say. I'm retired at this point when people ask me. I'm like, no, I, I, I'm only here to steal your recreational money. If you've got a side bet, I'll beat you in it. But, seriously, uh, Nick, thank you so much for taking Thanks, the time dude. to come Yeah, on. I really appreciate it. No worries. Yeah. Thanks a and lot. We look, and we look forward to seeing all of your stuff at Labor Cup and throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, thanks, and congrats on the podcast. It's a great listen. <laughs> thank you very much. Appreciate that, Nick. Take care.